This week on the Sport Blokes. On this week's show, the LA Dodgy Dodgers are World Series champions, T10 Madness in Spain, Javel Injury on the Gold Coast, and a first in our six-part AFL and NBA season recaps. Happy Halloween! Alright, Stewie, well, a bit different this week. We normally record on a Monday, but uh, you have to go away for work. So here we are on Halloween night in my office, talking about sport once again. Feels like only yesterday. Where else would you want to be on a Saturday night? Yeah, well, we've had a couple of big ones with the reunion and then my birthday grand final, so it's probably nice to have a quiet (laughs) one. (laughs) Now that we're old buggers. Welcome reprieve. As we do at the top every week, my friend, what caught your attention and what did you miss? Well, I've got a couple of things that caught my attention this week. So, firstly, it's no secret that we love our cricket. Yes. But it seems that we've been a little bit too close to the cricket in the last two weeks. <laughs> I was editing last week's show, and then I listened to the previous episode, yeah. and I noticed there was a fairly loud cricket in yeah. the background of both episodes. So, cheeky little buggers. Yes, yes. We are recording in my off uh, in my study, like I said. We aren't on the bayou in Louisiana or something with all the bugs chirping away. And... Almost sounded like it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, they might be cicadas. I don't know. I don't know, but they were fucking loud last night, so I'm glad we're not, we didn't record last yeah, night. They're, they're noisy little buggers. So yes, apologies. We are, you know, just a couple of blokes that sit in front of a microphone who talk about sport. We're not paid to do this. We don't have any supersonic sound-defying equipment. Unless someone wants to pay us to do this. So uh, yes, so apologies if that does come through. And then secondly, I was reading up on Christian Coleman, who we'll speak about in the news roundup in a minute. I noticed a photo of him racing in, of all places, last week, Ostrava. We Ostrava! Sp- we spoke exactly. So, you know the little rectangular thing they pin to the competitors to show them their names and the name of the event? Well, I noticed that the event was listed as Ostrava with three exclamation marks, just like at the tennis. Yep. Must be their marketing campaign. Yeah, it? it feels like the person in charge of their marketing might be a 14 year old. <laughs> three? That's yeah, a, well, it's, it's, that's it's pretty, pretty full on. Anyway, it's interesting. How about yourself? Well, so. Initially, I would have left this to This Week in Sport, but because we've realised it's Halloween, we're just going to do an entire Halloween of This Week in Sport. So so I can say this now. And by the way, you turned up when we had some trick-or-treaters. Weak. Poor form. Weak effort. Poor form. They're just dressed in normal clothes. I paid $2.50 for those bag of chocolates for people dressed up in fucking billabong shirts. Should have just eaten it in front of them. Yeah. Anyway. Although, when, it, when, when we were in high school and there were fancy dress parties, we were... Pretty lax and lazy with that. We didn't stuff. get free chocolate for it though. So no, anyway. Well, yeah. yeah anyway. Yeah. Uh, anyway. So yeah. So so this week marks the anniversary of the Wildcats' first two championships. So that was kind of cool. So there's been a lot of Perth Wildcats, of course. That is. There's been a lot of stuff around on the news. Channel Ten did some great interviews and some great nostalgic recaps. And the NBL showed the entire game three of the Wildcats and Bullets. Now, unfortunately, it was 6 p.m. Eastern time, 3 p.m. Perth time, so I was still working. So I jumped on the NBL YouTube, and guess what? It's been pulled down for bloody copyright breach. Jeez. So I was really looking forward to seeing that, because I was too young. Like, I I didn't see that when I was a kid. Uh, I would have only been nine years old at that stage. Mm, And I didn't get into basketball until around the year after. Yeah, so we missed out on peak Derek Rucker and probably peak Leroy Loggins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, dare I say peak Ricky Grace, Potentially. Well, yeah, he exploded I, onto the scene. He had, a, he had a very long peak. But, but there's some great stories. So first off, uh, we actually... The Wildcats needed to win the last game of the season to even qualify for the playoffs. 
So that's actually two championships we've won where we needed to win the last game of the season. Mm. So two out of the ten. And the other one, which is fantastic. So I can't remember if it was Ricky or Cal Bruton, but they were um, talking about, you know, the memories and the celebration and everything. And they're carrying the big trophy down to the airport. Now, not just the year-by-year one, but the big one with the, where, like... Yeah, the, the three stories high, basically. Yeah, exactly, where the plaque for every single year, where they engrave it every year. So they're carrying that onto the plane, and I can't, I can't remember if it was Qantas or Ansett, because they were still around at the time, said, no, 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 sorry, guys, you can't take this on the plane. So Kerry Stokes bought a first-class ticket... <laughs> oh wow for the trophy the trophy uh, now I don't know this might be an exaggeration and I can't remember if it was Ricky or Cal again but but whoever told the story said that the trophy sat in seat 1A on the oh. flight home so that when they when they landed and apparently there were like 10,000 people at the airport to greet them makes sense and Ricky said it was like the first kind of major championship for Perth because the Eagles didn't win till 92 now look we'd won some shields and some cricket stuff but uh, it was a big deal back then yeah, so a lot of people were there to greet, and so they could bring bring the trophy down. Brilliant. So, yeah, some lovely stories there. Let's hope that copyright infringement gets overturned and I might get to watch it. <laughs> What'd you miss, mate? Well, this week I've missed out on seeing the start of the new round of the Sheffield Shield, but since we're recording on the Saturday, as mm. we mentioned, mm. the matches aren't over, so I guess we'll probably look at them a, a little bit more yeah, next week. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of look at a couple of things because there have been some amazing Well, starts. there's some things we can't avoid. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, we'll probably look at them more in depth next week. Indeed, indeed. What about yourself, what did you miss? Well, do you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tie my what I missed to what caught my attention. I'm gutted that I didn't get to see that Game 3 win against Brisbane. Oh, you missed a game from so, 30 years Yeah, well, ago. hey, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bloody oh, copyright dear. infringement. Yeah. News Roundup. Yeah, so we'll start off with Christian Coleman, who we spoke about before. So world champion American 100-meter sprinter Christian Coleman has been banned from the sport for two years for anti-doping violations relating to, quote, three whereabouts failures. These relate to missed tests in January and December 2019, as well as a filing failure in April 2019. His time for winning the world championship in late September last year was 9.76 seconds. Mm. So he well and truly would be in the mix for a gold medal at Tokyo, assuming it goes ahead, obviously. Yes, indeed. It turns out, though, he's got a bit of a history here. He had another whereabouts failure in June 2018, but he managed to argue to have that one backdated to the 1st of April. So because the three failures he had accumulated weren't within a 12-month window, he didn't get suspended. But because this one in December happened within that 12-month window, it kind of sealed his fate there. So he's got 30 days to appeal it, which I have to imagine he'll do based on the fact that he's saying that he has no record of anyone being at his house on the 9th of December. It kind of makes you wonder, though, why something as serious as this wouldn't take place in a lab somewhere or at least have an agreed-upon time so that there's no real... Yeah, well, I guess if it's agreed upon, then they can make sure they didn't take any substances. This is this is true. So, and I think a lab. I don't know if that's practical. I don't think there's any other way to do it. But it's it's very imperfect. Well, well, it is. Yeah, they're just mysteriously not there three times, and all of a sudden they're they're getting banned. But what's undone him were some receipts. So they've done some sleuthing. They've done a bit of Sherlock Holmesing, and what he claimed was. It was something like he went down the shops, got some Chipotle or something, came home and ate it, then went back to the shops to buy something or something. Anyway, so they looked at the timestamps on the receipts and they said, mate, there's no way you went all the way to the shops, came home, ate your food, went back again. So they've worked it out forensically based on their time. Ah, so, so, he, so he was Be out. careful. Yeah, mm, yeah. Interesting. As fast as he is. Yeah, well... <laughs> 
So we've got a champion in the World Series. Yes, we do in Major League Baseball. It was the LA Dodgers in the end. Now, they were heavy favourites heading into the season. They won the series 4-2 and they won Game 6-3-1. Corey Seager was the unanimous MVP. Some people seem to think in the media that uh, Mookie Betts should have won it, but uh, Seager got it in the end. Clayton Kershaw broke the record for most postseason strikeouts all time with 207. Nine different Dodgers had a home run in the series as well, which is a World Series record in MLB history. So that's an interesting that one too. Interesting, yeah. But I dare say, sure, the whole thing was a little bit overshadowed by Justin Turner's uh, antics. Mask gate, I guess you could Yeah, well, it. yeah, you could. So basically, my understanding is I think he tested positive before the game. There was some question as to whether or not it was a false positive. So they let him play, tested him again. Results came back in the eighth innings and they had to pull him from the game because he, pos- he was definitely positive. And then after the game, when the Dodgers won... The league said, no, no, you can't go out and celebrate with, with your teammates. And he said, him and the team apparently said, screw you, no, I'm going out and I'm celebrating. And so he went out and hugged them. and Sans mask as well Sans for some mask. of those, for the team photos and yep. things like that. I mean, yep. it's absolutely absurd. You think about the, the penalties that have been in place for people that have breached a, a COVID restriction that haven't actually had the disease. Yeah, yep. And he has it. And he's sitting next to all of his teammates. I mean, if that doesn't scream super spreader, I don't know what does. Well, and what makes it even worse is that he was the team representative. So, of anyone, he was the one that was negotiating with the league. You know, they had a representative from each team from the players. Negotiating with the league the conditions of the startup. So, he agreed. You know, of anyone, he should have known better. So, it's really tricky though because you don't... It's not every year you win the championship. Plus, he'd already been playing the game several innings. He's been in the dugout. Chances are, if he was going to spread it, he probably spread it before the team photo anyway. So I'm really, I'm really in two minds about this. But it's also not every year that there's a pandemic. So no, and look, you know, it's just... not something I would have done. I, I do think he deserves penalty, and the league is investigating. So we'll watch this space on this one. Yep. You've got an update in the world of golf, Stuart. Yeah, a bit of a weird one here. There's been a decent bit of chatter about the hoodie that Rory McIlroy wore in the fourth round at the Zozo Championship. Oh, please. Now, golf's always been a bit of a game for the purists. They like to see pressed pants with polo shirts, very little fanfare. Very few players stray too far from it. Yes, Papanovic was one who used to wear hats with turned-up bills to display logos of sponsors and things like that, from Upper Deck to Cobra to Hexi Games. Ian Poulter and John Daly have always been known to wear eye-catching outfits. But last week we saw Tyrrell Hatton uh, get caught up with wearing a, a hoodie and then being called out for it. And now Roy McElroy, who, being one of the more popular players in the game, is retracting a little bit more heat for it. So it's it's a really weird one. Should the fun police just kind of put down uh, their bats? Yeah, and, I mean... I mean, the, the game, the sport's evolving. It's 2020, guys. Yeah, this is not a game that's just played by... And it's becoming guys. a young man's game more and more. Well, it is, yeah. Yeah. It is. Most yeah. of these guys, I mean, McElroy, I think, is 31, 30, 31 from memory. He's definitely very early 30s, so, yeah. And then, of course, in the women's side of things, Paige Spirinak always gets in a bit of trouble. Right? She she definitely uh, pushes the limits a little bit, but <laughs> but no, it's, it's ridiculous that something like this is... And, and somebody, I can't remember who it was, but somebody went on the record and said, if this is what we're worried about in the sport... Especially in pandemic year. Then we're doing okay. Yeah, like, it's yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So. Slow news week there, I no guess. No joke. Boxing. Yeah, in boxing it seems that Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. are a little annoyed because the IBC has scheduled their November 29th bout for 8 times 2 minute rounds instead of 8 times 3 minute rounds. Both of them were heard to make comments about how women fight 2 minute rounds, something 
which I'm sure won't be forgotten anytime soon. I know that these guys are both in absolutely sensational shape for men in their 50s, but uh, you have to imagine things will probably slow down a little bit in those latter rounds if there's no knockout prior to then. Yeah, I mean, what's Tyson now? 54, and I think Jones is about 51, so they're no young Tyson's in amazing shape. They, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> But the amount of effort that you exert during, in this case, 16 minutes of boxing, it's huge. And he, he's not a spring chicken anymore. So. I'm surprised they just didn't go great. Easier money. Well, yeah, that's very, very true. I think these guys have heard rumors that it's just like an exhibition yeah, match. Yeah, and, yeah. And I've, it's I've, not legit. And they've, of, yeah. they've both commented and said there ain't nothing exhibition about the two of us. Like, this is going to be full on. And I think it will be a, a mini war, so... Yeah, I think they're probably wanting the extra eight minutes, but not getting it. Not the most popular people with women <laughs> when they make those Certainly won't be, no. Yeah, well, they weren't beforehand, let's utterly face Utterly ridiculous. Given uh, Tyson's legal troubles and such. And then finally, a little tennis update in our news roundup. Yeah, we're not going to do a full segment on tennis this week because, well, we're recording early, as we mentioned. Nothing's finished, but holy shit, what a Friday night at the Erste Open in Vienna. Four quarterfinals and none of them went to script. In the first match, world number one Novak Djokovic was absolutely smashed by lucky loser Lorenzo Sonego of Italy, 6-2, 6-1. Sonego has never actually taken a set off a top 10 player before this match. Wow, that's so, it. Not even a set. Well, that defines lucky loser, all right. It doesn't half. And this is actually the first time since 2005 that Djokovic has only amassed three games in a match. He actually went down to Marat Safin 0-2-1 in the Australian Open in 2005. Then Russia's Andre Rublev knocked off Dominic Thiem 7-6-6-2, so the number two seed was gone. Rublev is the number five seed, so not a massive upset, but still. Unseeded Kevin Anderson then toppled the four seed Daniel Medvedev. And Daniel Evans bettered Gregor Dimitrov as well, who was probably the more fancy player there. So mm, definitely. So we've got the five seed in Rublev, the only seeded player left taking on Kevin Anderson, and Daniel Evans taking on Lorenzo Sonego, who actually only made it because Diego Schwartzman, Alex Diminor, and Kei Nishikori all withdrew. Mm. So really, as you said, the definition of a lucky loser. Yeah. So absolutely crazy. So I guess we've had a little bit of time to let the dust settle on the AFL Grand Final. A few things have come up. Gaz actually played with a broken shoulder, Gary Ablett. Parfit played with a broken thumb. You have an interesting stat on first goal scorers. Yeah, there was this all this hoo-ha about the first goal in the Grand Final curse. I checked every single one since 1990. 14 wins, 17 losses. Fairly so, close. So fairly close. And that's also including the fact that there were two goals kicked by Collingwood in the drawn grand final in 2010. Mm, so mm. you could almost make a case for a, well, 14 and a half even. <laughs> but uh, yeah, obviously we had that run of six straight years. So it kind of felt like it was this big curse, but it's not anywhere near as bad as it probably seemed. I think you always want to get the first one in the grand final. No oh yeah, what. momentum early is important. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously there's a lot going on in the free agency side of things in the AFL. We've got quite a few to run through. Yeah, so we'll start our post-mortem as well. So we'll look at the we'll start from the bottom up. So we'll look at the bottom three teams in a second as well. But we have to talk about what's been going on. And a lot has been going on. And for starters, I find it bizarre that free agency has begun when they haven't settled on the cap. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Like how the hell like that is amateur hour stuff. Hmm. Like how how can you get through a successful bubble environment somewhat? whole season, grand final, really knock it out of the park, do a spectacular job with the season, and then start free agency without a cap figure. It just, yeah. it's how, a well, shame. How, yeah, how can you honour some of these contracts? Oh, it's, it's just, it's like, guys, you know, 
Move it back a week or two if you have to. Yeah. But anyway, so we do have major news. Joey Danaher is heading from Essendon to Brisbane. Yeah, geez, that's going to help their accuracy problems. <laughs> How do you think he and Eric Hipwood will fit together in the same forward line? Hipwood's basically Danaher without the mo. Uh, I guess full forward, centre half forward, much like we talked about with Hawkins and Cameron, potentially. Do, do but I, I just don't like the move for Brisbane. I, I think they're wasting money on a guy who's made of glass. I, if I were them, if you did want a big forward, go after Ben Brown. Well, yeah. Or even, like, Gunston. There's you know? a number of guys. I mean, I mean he's not a huge forward, but he's a good goal-kicking forward. I mean, I understand they could kind of look at it the same way as the whole Darling and Kennedy thing, where you've got two... Not, not so much in terms of the, the frame size, but they're quite tall. So these guys will be very, very hard to match up on. Kind of like a, a Twin Towers sort of setup. So I kind of get why they've done that. But yeah, both of them struggle for accuracy. They'll both probably be leading into the same spot. Uh, I, yeah, it baffles me. This one's curious to me too. Yeah. I mean, I'm just glad that the Swans didn't get him. Because as I say, he's made a class and I don't think he'll be worth the money that whatever they pay him. And Essendon are getting pick seven for him at this stage. That's a great return on a player who, as you said, is made of glass. Yeah, oh, look, I think it's probably fair given his skill and his potential. Pick seven, though. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I would have thought... The AFL draft is a real crapshoot. Yeah. Even more than the NBA, I would argue. Yeah, I would have thought he would have so, been a bit later in the first round. But anyway, that's, yeah. that's what it is. Isaac Smith's moving from Hawthorne to Geelong, so is it too early to put money on a Richmond-Geelong grand final again? I think it was probably too late, about five minutes after that one finished, <laughs> considering all the rumours around Jeremy Cameron and the Yeah, well, that's so, true too, yeah. But, uh, yeah really well, we'll get to that in a sec. Great pick-up, though, from Geelong. Absolutely, yeah. No, that's a spectacular... That's a win-now move. Uh, it's a, That's an upgrade on Gary Ablett. Yep, agreed. Yeah, at, the, at that late stage of his career. So that's, that's a huge signing. Now, we've got to mention, so Jeremy Cameron, GWS have matched him. So they put nearly a million a season on the table. Yeah, this is basically forcing Geelong to give something up for him. And I, I like the move. I think it's a great move. I mean, they're not going to be in a position to win this season anyway, so they may as well throw the money on the table and say, right, if you're, if you're going to stay with us, we'll pay you. But if not, we're going to get something for you. I've heard names like Brandon Parfit. I've heard of Radigalia, Radigalia yeah. as the other one. and But neither of them seem that feasible. I mean, Radigalia still has a year left on his contract, so he'd have to agree to that, which I don't think he will, um, unless he maybe doesn't envisage that he's going to get a game at Geelong. He didn't play much in the finals. And Parfit, I think, is just about to sign a two-year extension, so it's unlikely. I think you're right. I think that would be the carrot dangling in front of Radicalia is that you'd probably get a game every week. Well, you'd be a focal point in the forward versus, line. Versus, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you have to wonder then the trickle-down effect. So if they keep Cameron, you have to wonder if they'll still go after Jesse Hogan. I can't imagine they'll, which has been rumoured, I can't imagine they would go after him if they've still got Cameron, do you think? I can't imagine why you'd go after Hogan anyway. I agree. Another one rumoured for the Swans that I'm hoping didn't happen. Yeah. Rory Atkins is moving from Adelaide to the Gold Coast. Oleg Markov is asking for a trade from Richmond to the Gold Coast as well. I don't think he was going to get much of a chance in the no. Richmond side anyway, so I think that's not a, not a bad move. No, and speaking of, Jack Higgins, kind of maybe a little bit of a fringe player, is looking to leave Richmond, and he's been linked with Geelong as well. So that's an interesting one. Zach Williams, as we've talked about before, is on the cusp of moving to GWS to Carlton for a pretty sizable little deal. Yeah, I think look, I think that's a good move for him. I mean, again, you sort of almost want to jump off that ship while it's sinking. Carlton kind of feel like they're trending on the way up a little bit, which is a, a phrase we'll probably use in the postmortems a bit, but so I like the move. And Aiden Kaur's also moving from GWS to North Melbourne. Again, that's one we've talked about before as well, I think. 
yeah, I'm not sure why anyone would want to go to North Melbourne, but yeah, he's obviously going to get Probably a pretty decent payday. Money, yeah. Decent payday. You'd think. Yeah, well, the Swans are desperate for our ruckman. We've been linked with Peter Adams, Scott Lysette, Toby Nankervis, who we had before, and who I've said previously we should have kept instead of Naismith, and now Tom Hickey as well. I'd be happy for Tom Hickey to go. I'd be great for him to get a game because I don't think he's going to get much of a, a run, unfortunately. Obviously, with Natanui playing as well, he'll probably get injured first round of next season. Is he season. someone we want? I don't know a lot about him. Is he someone we oh, want? Look, he's he's serviceable. I don't think he's a top-tier ruckman, but he's a serviceable sort of ruckman. He's, he's certainly somebody that you could make do with. And if Sinclair's back in time for the start of next year, he'd be a pretty decent backup. So... Sinclair's a year older. I don't know how much longer he's got, but uh, yeah, we'll see there. And then we've buried the lead here. The absolutely huge news is Adam Trelaw and Collingwood. What the hell is going on there? They paid a mint to steal him from GWS a few years ago, and apparently he grew up all his whole life just wanting to play for the Pies. Now his wife signed with, I believe, Brisbane in the Super Netball, so she has to move up with their child to Queensland. He doesn't. He wants to stay at Collingwood, but Collingwood are using this as an excuse to say, "Nah, soil." Yeah, well, they're basically saying you're not going to be of any service to us if you're really wanting to be based out of Queensland. Apparently, the the, the Lions and the Suns don't want him. I think the Suns should definitely have a run at him. It's got to be the price tag, I think. Yeah, well, his existing contract. I, th- I think because on the face of it, of course you'd want to play a lateral law. Like he'd definitely help your midfield. But he's also had issues with soft tissue injuries and, and things this like is that. True. So this I guess that's maybe why they don't want to pay him. It, it but does... I think he's on a pretty sizable contract. Mm. Oh, yeah. Look, if I'm the Gold Coast Suns, I, I still make a move on him. Who wins the first premiership, Gold Coast or GWS? None. Neither of them. I reckon Gold Coast. Gold Coast at this stage. So for all the chatter about how Gold Coast blew it and GWS like had the ultimate start as a new team in the league, history may look upon Gold Coast end up being the first one to win a premiership out of the two. Yeah, I mean GWS blew a very golden opportunity. They had a a championship caliber team, but... We, if they do keep Cameron, maybe their window's ever so slightly ajar, but I still I, don't I, think... I think it's done. Yeah, I, I think, think it's so absolutely too. done regardless. I think so too. But yeah. Especially if he doesn't want to be there. And then you've got a retirement, and we'll look, we've predicted this one too. Yeah, we alluded to it last week, but uh, Harry Hammy Taylor has officially hung up the boot. 280 games, two premierships... Hung two, up the ham, you mean. Hung up the ham, yes, yeah, yeah. true. Um, so yeah, two premierships and two All-Australian Blazers to go with this 280 games. Now, obviously, you know what number Harry Taylor wore. Seven. Exactly. Can Had you, to think about it. Can you tell me the other number he's worn? Oh, no. 85. Oh, really? <laughs> so, I didn't know they go up that high in the well, AFL. There was a heritage clash against the Demons, and he had to change his jersey multiple times because of a blood Blood roll, of course. So they ran out of number sevens, and the only one they had spare of all numbers was 85. Wow. How's that for random? There you go. At least it's not the IPL where they're allowed three numbers. Yeah, oh God. That's weird, isn't it? The old Ravi Ashford 999. Yeah, that's bizarre. Mm. I don't know how I feel about that. Oh, well. So as we've mentioned, we'll begin to start chipping away at the post-mortem of the season. It's a bit early probably to be predicting next season. So we'll look at the the draft and we'll keep following free agency as it unfolds. But we thought we'd, we'd grade the teams. So this week we'll just start with 18, 17 and 16. In 18th spot were the Adelaide Crows, 3-14. and 14. The previous season, they were 10-12 and 12 and finished 11th. The longest winning streak was three between rounds 15 and 17 prior to that. They hadn't won. 
Their longest losing streak was 13. Their biggest scalp was probably Hawthorne by 35 points in round 15. At that stage, it looked like they wouldn't even get a win. And their biggest loss was two three-point losses, one to Sydney in round one and one to Essendon in round eight. Not surprisingly, against the top eight, they were 0-8, and, and against the bottom eight, they were 3-6. and six. So I guess giving it a grade, is there a, is there a grade of an E? <laughs> Exempt. Well, well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, I, I had them as a D at the end of the season, but then the whole Tyson Stengel and Brad Crouch thing happened. They've had some guys that have left, haven't really sort of looked to pick anyone up just yet. So I guess looking at the on-field stuff, though, not every single wooden spoon is a disaster. This, no, this no. One f- but I think with their list, it's probably an F. Well, as I say, the, the reason that I've given it slightly better than an F is because of the finish to the season. Yeah, they, yeah. They got that taste of winning. Look, they're not going to be world beaters. They're probably... Oh, no, no, yeah. no. I, I, but I, the pressure's off at the end of the season as well. They're playing true. teams that weren't qualifying for the finals. True. Yeah. But look, I, I don't expect them to really be any sort of chance of winning anything for probably another two or three seasons. But if you look at some of the guys, if you look at some of the young guys, Tom Duday, Shane McAdam, Fisher McKaysey, Riley O'Brien, Elliot Himmelberg, Darcy Fogarty, Tyson Stengel, Lockie Scholl and Harry Schoenberg, that's a pretty decent start. These guys have all had time. They've experienced AFL football. They understand... Stengel's had more than time after the news last week. Well, he'll probably get time for it. Yeah, but, well, yeah. But yeah. no, look, it's, it's one of those things. I think they're sort of starting where Gold Coast maybe was a couple of years ago. So they're going to probably get some pretty decent draft picks. They've got a chance to, to potentially rebuild a little bit through the draft. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I don't think there's all doom and gloom with the Crows. For me, for me, it was their veterans that were terrible. Mm. The Crouch boys weren't great. Tex Walker was R- shit. Rory Sloan. Rory Sloan was pretty average, yeah, at times. And, yep. that, and that's the interesting part. So we've said that they've lost Rory Atkins. Brad Crouch is lying up a move to St. Kilda, Yeah, we I missed that one. Yeah, we, yep, yep. They've got high draft picks coming up. They can hopefully find a Matt Rowell midfield diamond in the rough sort of player. Like the Suns, the, the Crows are going to take some time to make finals, but their future looks better than it did halfway through the season. Jeez, if anyone gets a Matt Rowell, you'll be very, very happy. You'd be pretty pretty happy with that. So. 70% of Matt Rowell, I reckon they'd be happy with, to be honest. Yeah, true. So we'll go with one team that, although they finished at the basement, they their futures may be a little bit brighter to a team that I dare say is a dumpster fire and probably is odds on to win the wooden spoon next season. <laughs> that is exactly how I rated them as a dumpster fire. Well, there you fire. go. There you go. So North <laughs> Melbourne in 17th place. They also went 3-14 and 14 in the end. The previous season, they went 10-12, and 12, finishing in 12th place. So both these teams had very similar seasons the last two years as far as record is concerned. Their longest winning streak was two, which were rounds one and two. So the restart and the, the hub situation really wasn't too good for North. Yeah. Their longest losing streak was eight. Their biggest scalp was against St. Kilda by two in round one. Their biggest loss was against Brisbane by one point in round 12, which would have been a bit of a heartbreaker. I will just say, that when you're saying the biggest loss, obviously it's not their their highest margin loss. It's, it's Sorry, yes. It's yeah, the, yeah, it's, yeah. The, it's the, most bru- most noteworthy. the most brutal loss, yeah. potentially. Most noteworthy yeah. loss. Yeah. Yeah, well, otherwise they would have lost 14 games all by one point. Yeah. But uh, against the top eight, their win loss was one and seven, and against the bottom, two and seven. And these sort of stats aren't all that surprising for the cellar dwellers. I'm going to give them a G+. It was that bad. Yeah. I Look, I, I give their leadership an F for not giving poor Reese Shaw more support. And we, we now know what's happened there. Reese has walked. Yeah. So that's a really sad situation. Oh, it is. It is. And... and 
God knows what the next person coming in is going to do. I think Ross Lyon's already been ruled out. So right. I think Paul Ruse is probably one they're going to throw some money at. But does he? I mean, he did that with Melbourne. Does he want to do that again? Like maybe with Reese there, it might have been a little bit more appealing yeah. as someone he's worked with when he played at the Swans. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Look, as I said, my grade G+. I don't even think an F is suitable for how bad this was. It's got to be an F, yeah. They delisted 11 players, including two of their leadership group, which is a terrible start. They made no effort to work Ben Brown back into the team after he got injured. And after he'd had some really great seasons yep. prior to this year. Yep. For, I mean, from what I hear, they were pushing him out the door with yeah. two hands. Yeah, oh, it just makes no sense. Because on one hand, he's a really good player and you should keep him. But on the other hand, they're lowering his value. Exactly. I think I've mentioned this before, but it just it's crazy. They shot themselves in the foot completely yeah, absolutely. There. So Sean Higgins, I think, is linked to Geelong as well. So he's on the way out. Jared Polek's looking to leave as well. And after what they put in to get him... That's a real disaster signing. Aaron Hall was another one that they threw a bit of money at who was pretty pretty poor as well. Yep. Yeah. And then they had that brief kind of good news story with Magic Door, but now they've delisted him. delisted him as yeah. well, exactly. Yep. Look, they had some good news. They Obviously, we mentioned they've got Aiden Core coming in from GWS. They've got some quality youngsters. Jai Simpkin was brilliant most of the year. Cam Zerha, probably the most brutal tackler in the league. Taron Thomas... But then you look at guys like Jack Zebel, who's 29, Robbie Terrence, 31, Todd Goldstein's 32. Zebel was pretty quiet. Yeah, yeah, these guys aren't getting any younger. They're not yeah. playing to the same level. Robbie Tarrant was very good most of the year. But, yeah, they, they probably actually need to be looking at mentoring their younger players now. And, yeah, obviously whoever officially signs up as the, the new coach is going to have a huge challenge. I think their biggest challenge, though, is conditioning and effort. Like, it just seemed like they were only putting in a decent effort one out of every four or five games, which that's probably why they had that one in 14. Oh, they looked, they looked broken towards, particularly towards the end of that season. That Dockers game sticks in my mind pretty strongly. They were absolutely woeful. Yep. Woeful. Yeah. yeah they better get someone pretty decent. That's yeah. all I can say. Yeah, yeah. And just as we've kind of broken it up into little bite size, we've got one more for our postmortem this week, and it is my Swans in 16th place on 5 and 12. They'd finished 8 and 14 last season to finish in 15th place, so about the same for them too. I would say that early season injuries meant the Swans that were fringe finalists at absolute best, maybe knocking on the door if they're lucky, but it meant that they never had a chance. The number one ruckman, Sam Naismith, was ruled out for the season. Uh, and although he was reportedly excellent in preseason, Buddy Franklin did his hammy before round one and never suited up. Add that to the fact that Zach Heaney got hurt uh, in a close round six loss to Richmond and never played again. Josh Kennedy had a pretty injury disrupted season, although he came back earlier than I thought he would. As did Sam Reed, but hey, when doesn't he? Their longest winning streak was one. <laughs> the longest losing streak was four between rounds four and seven. Biggest scalp was GWS in round 12, which we got to see here in Perth, which was magnificent. Cracker again. Biggest loss was Essendon by six in round two, or Richmond by eight in round six. A couple of games there where the season wasn't over at that stage. I'd probably still even add the six-point loss to Geelong in, in the last round. I think that was still a... Well, our season was I, done by I know, then. I know but it didn't mean anything, but yeah. I, I thought it was still a great effort. Good cracking game. Yeah. So the win loss against the top eight was 0-8, and, and the win loss against the bottom four, 5-4. and four. Again, kind of numbers you'd expect yeah. for the lower teams. You beat the teams you're supposed to beat. Yeah. Yeah, I'd give him a C. I'm going to add a few extra things on to your injury list. I mean, George Hewitt only played six games. 
Jackson Thurlow only played eight. Lewis Melican only played nine. Dane Rampey played 11. You mentioned Josh Kennedy. That was the fewest games he'd played since he was with Hawthorne in 2000. Oh, yeah. Josh Kennedy's been an Ironman previously. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. This one's actually started really well this season. They won two of their first three games, admittedly against the two teams we've just spoken about in Adelaide and North Melbourne, but we didn't know what they were at Well, that's stage. right. Yeah, that's true. And they were really competitive in both of the games against grand final sides. You mentioned they lost to Richmond by eight and they lost to Geelong by six. So very, very close games there. Yep. Look, there were some disastrous games in there, but the Swans actually handed an almost full-strength GWS their backsides and they gave Melbourne a pretty decent touch-up as well. So there are some signs. Tom Papley obviously trailed off from being an All-Australian to barely holding his spot at the yeah, end of the season. Yeah, he really did. He really did. And then you had the Elijah Taylor distractions off the field too. You'd have to be a little bit shocked if the leading active goal kicker in the AFL didn't make a difference to this squad. So, some reasons for optimism. Do you? Think- oh, absolutely. So I've kind of looking through the entire league. I kind of, as we discussed, kind of had some categories trending up, trending down, and it's anyone's guess. Adelaide trending up, I think. Yep. North Melbourne trending down. In a, in a bad in way. In a really bad way. Yep. Swans, anyone's guess. We could make the finals next year or we could finish 15th or 16th again. Yep. But, you know, if Buddy's fully healthy, Zach Heaney, Josh Kennedy, Sam Reid, I mean, there's a pretty big names. Hmm. We could challenge for finals. Do you see there being any retirements maybe coming up for the Swans? Oh, that's a really good question. Probably not this season. So we've had a bit of turnover in the last couple of years. So we had Kieran Jack leave. We had Hanbury go to St Kilda. We had Zach Jones go to St Kilda. So some of those older guys that were maybe going to be pushed out or retired have kind of gone in the last season or two. So I don't know if we'll have a lot of that this season. Maybe, I mean, Maybe the following year. Yeah. yeah, I mean, a couple of guys. Buddy's heading in that direction. Kennedy's probably not far behind yeah, as well. So yeah, but that's probably still a season or two away. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it's very hard to grade your own team, isn't it? Uh, I give him an A plus for keep losing so we get a better draft pick because that's what I wanted. Once the season's done, it should be done. Look, I think given the injuries, I think B minus, I'll say. Well, is it a C? It's not yeah. true. So I guess that brings an end to the first of six of these. We'll be looking at Hawthorne, Gold Coast and Essendon next week, which I think will be very, Three very interesting very teams. Interesting yeah, teams yeah. Yeah. And obviously we'll have more news with the free agency by then too. Definitely. So, Shui, we were down the pub early this afternoon. We saw the carnage that was the Bledisloe Cup. We scored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We weren't even in the good uniforms. Terrible. Yeah, we looked like South Africa in those oh, uniforms. They were, why can't we wear the canary yellow? They were horrible. Yeah. So, yes, New Zealand 43 defeated the Wallabies 5. Yeah. <sighs> Not all that, that surprising. That 16-all draw yeah. looks a long, long, long time ago, doesn't it? It sure does. Because, obviously, we were doing the socialising, all we really could sort of see every so often was someone celebrating. And it was almost always a New Zealander yeah. celebrating. I, I dare say that socialising has never stopped us before. It's just because we're not major rugby fans. Too. Yeah, well, that's it. But <laughs> no, not, not great. We kept an eye on it, but, uh, yeah, as you Look, say, constant... Congrats congrats to New Zealand on retaining the Bledisloe. Yep. No surprise. Absolutely. So, Stewie, just as we had the dust settle on the AFL, we've had the dust settle on the uh, NRL too. Yeah, just a really quick one here. I I kind of wanted to take the time to look through the State of Origin sides, but unfortunately kind of ran out of time today. But one little thing I will mention, I spoke about the crazy feat of athleticism from Ryan Pappenhausen last week about when he was basically Superman diving out of bounds to to save that penalty and, and bring it back in. Sadly, he actually injured his calf in that, so he's he's going to miss his debut in the state of origin yeah, for New South Wales. Shame. Yeah, he shame. thoroughly deserves a jersey there, but 
Look, he's still a decent chance of playing in the second game, but unfortunately with these sorts of injuries, time will tell. So mm. I, I hope he gets a chance to play because he really, really deserves it. So we'll head back across to America now. You've got some NFL stuff. Yeah, so obviously not many games have played since we last recorded because they tend to, the, the vast majority of them happen on Sunday night Australia time, Monday morning. A couple of transactions that are quite interesting. Now, look, there have been games, but I don't think we need to go into them. And... Last week was a quite an exciting week, even beyond what we discussed. But a couple of big names. So Odell Beckham Jr. is out for the season for Cleveland after they had a really good start. Wow. And it was after Baker Mayfield threw a pick. I think it was the very first pass of the game for Cleveland. And so Odell Beckham got himself injured tackling someone oh, on the opposition. That's brutal. Yeah. But it makes you wonder, do the wide receivers even train, like, do they even practice tackling? I'd hazard a guess that they don't do that hardly ever. And I feel like... Do they even they put the odd block on here and there? Well, it's... I mean, it's so rare. Yeah, well, they don't They don't want to get injured, you know. And and the proof's in the pudding here, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, it's kind of like how quarterbacks and kickers traditionally don't really tackle. Well, it's funny um, you mention unless that. They're, unless they're Aussies, but... Well, it's, no, well, I'm thinking of one... I remember Dante Culpepper when he played for the Vikings. Like, yeah. this huge tackle. And I can't remember who they were playing. But, uh, you know, he was a big bloke. He was like six foot... Six foot five, maybe. Carved like. out of stuff. He was huge, yeah. So he could lay attack. He could have played linebacker if he wanted mm. to. But yeah, so that's a big one. Yeah, it's huge. Uh, and then the other one was the Tampa Bay Bucks have signed Antonio Brown. Mm. Now, he... I talked previously about Le'Veon Bell, who was a former Pittsburgh Steeler who was an exceptional running back. This was another former Pittsburgh Steeler, an exceptional wide receiver. And by the way, Pittsburgh are the only undefeated team yeah. at six and zero. So they've that. lost their they've lost their best wide receiver and their best running back in the last couple of seasons, and they're still doing terrifically well. It's going to be really interesting to see how he goes. He's been a real locker room headache. Sometimes less is more. Mm. So they have a pretty potent team now on both sides of the ball, and a lot of people are going to start picking him for the Super Bowl. And Tom Brady yet again. But uh, yeah, that's a real watch this space, this one. We see how Ant- Antonio Brown goes. And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? Well, the bloody hell this week comes from St. Stephen's College in Upper Coomera in the Gold Coast, where a 12-year-old boy became the latest unfortunate victim in the sport of javelin. Oh dear. After being impaled in the groin. Oh, I could see where that was going. Yep. The boy was treated on site by a school nurse. Poor thing for them to deal with that as well. Oh, yes. And Queensland Fire and Emergency Services assisted in removing most of the javelin before he was transported to hospital in a stable condition. Oh, most of. I have, yeah, well, they had to leave some of it in. In his bollocks. Well, I don't know. They said groin. I don't know. You just assume that, but yeah. I have thrown a javelin once in my lifetime, and the thing absolutely shit whipped me in the side of the head. (laughs) I can assure you I retired from the sport on the spot. (laughs) I remember when we threw javelins in high school and the teachers saying, now, this could impale someone. You've got to be real careful. Yeah, it's it's horrible. But there's also been a whole bunch of other stuff. There was a horrendous injury in 93 when a judge was speared through the shoulder. I looked online and I see there's numerous people that have tragically been killed in a- in accidents. And in 2008, a guy named Tiro Pitkamaki from Finland fired one offline at a Golden League meet near Rome and it actually speared Salim Sidiri of Greece, who was waiting to participate in the long jump at the time. Yikes. It speared him in the back. So really, really horrible. I also read an article about a lady in the UK whose javelin struck a classmate in the eye, resulting in her passing away four days later. So, oh. no joke, honestly. But Another cheery bloody hell, Stuart. Yeah, yeah. 
So for copping a javelin to the spot, you definitely don't want it. All I can say is, Bloody hell. So sure, you're someone who's never short of a funny story. You've got a couple to kick off cricket. Today. Yeah, these ones are a little bit happier than the ones I just told you. Yeah, well, that's good. We'll move on through that quick enough. So I've got a couple. Firstly, I have to mention this absolutely farcical finish to a match between Pax Salona and the Catalonia Tigers in the European Cricket Series during the week. Everyone's favourite teams. <laughs> T10. Yeah. So this is a series of T10 matches. I, I guess they don't think Europeans are going to be interested enough in cricket to watch for more than 10 overs a side. I'm, yeah, I I'm not know. sure. But. I don't know. So Catalonia actually did really well. They made four for 107 off their 10 overs. So they did incredibly well. And after all of that, it came down to the last ball of the innings for Paxilona. It sure did. They needed two for a tie and three for a win. Now, Adela Ali was on strike, having just smashed a six off the previous ball, but he had a fresh air swing, and they scampered through for one. The keeper walked up to the stumps with a ball in his gloves, and you're thinking, right, it's all over. But amazingly, Azim Azam, awesome name, by the way, sounds kind of like the noise a fictional plane would make. <laughs> so he's called Ali back for the second, but kept his bat in the crease so that the keeper couldn't run him out. And the keeper's kind of panicked, sort of thinking, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? And as Azam started running, and I'll say well before Ali had made his ground as well, the keeper, Davinda Singh Kaur, has thrown the ball to the bowler, Muhammad Kashif. Who's who, mid-pitch. Who hadn't backed up to the stumps and yep. had a ping from nearly halfway down and missed. And they scampered through for two. And the game ended up as a tie. Now, Crazy. As if that's not crazy enough, though, what is even more crazy is the rule for a tie there. They don't have a super over. No. They have a golden ball. Yeah, that's ridiculous. So this is probably up there with the NFL overtime rule. It's worse. In, well, it is probably, well, no, it's probably worse, yeah, actually. Yeah. So the team that batted second faces one ball from the same bowler who bowled the last over. If they score two or more, they win. If they score one or less, they lose. That's ridiculous. How stupid is that? Yeah, yeah. So amazingly, Ali picked out a fieldsman and they tried to do the same thing. The keeper actually did the same Not thing. Not gonna as fall well. for it twice. Well, for me once, shame on well, you. The, keep, the keeper actually smashed the stumps at the at the striker's end before the player had left the, the crease. Ah. And then they tried to sort of do the scamper through for the, for the second one, and thankfully the bowler had backed up far enough and was able to. He did to the run old out. Damien Fleming roll it down the Yeah, pressure. it was yeah. kind of like the yeah, the yeah. run out of Klusner and Donald. I so, saw the I saw the footage. So utterly ridiculous finish to a match. It really was. Now this one probably Almost tops it, I would say. So we move to the match between Coolum Cricket Club and Wamaran Stanley River in the Sunshine Coast Cricket Association's 6th Division. (laughs) So at 3 for 67, Will Day strode out to the crease to join Mick Day, Mm. his father. Oh, very nice. The pair then put on a 4th wicket partnership of 224 runs before the innings was brought to a compulsory close at 3 for 291. With Mick unbeaten on 118 and Will 95 not out. Oh, it didn't make his Didn't quite. Although this might have been made easier by the fact that it looked like Wamaran only had, or Wamaran, I'm sorry, apologies for for those guys, I'm not sure exactly how. It looked like they only had eight players. So a lot of gaps to pick there. Sixth division cricket. Exactly. So a lot of guys probably just not turning up or stuck at home doing the... Hungover. Or hungover, yeah. So the scorecard, which I was able to find through, a, I think it's My Cricket. My line. Cricket, yeah. yeah, it's a yeah. Great the website. great cricketer guys are going to have a field day with this. It's brilliant. So it was quite funny to read it, though, because it seems that whoever was doing the scoring had no idea who the players were, and it was often listing things like caught, question mark, bowled by the bowler's name. 
So you don't actually know who had taken the catches or that sort of thing, but still a, an absolutely amazing moment in sport and something that... Great bonding between father and son. Yeah, look, I was actually very fortunate, I sort of think back to my basketball days, and I was very fortunate to play a couple of seasons with my old man before he officially retired. Uh, in seniors, I think he would have been probably about 55 at the time, and I was sort of 20, well, early 20s, I can't remember exactly how old, but that was a, an amazing experience getting to, to play alongside him and yeah, I can only imagine the, the, the great bonding, as you said, that these guys would have had. So, yeah, great, uh, great story. Great story, yeah. Yep. So we go from a great story to a bad story in the international world of cricket. Yeah, Marlon Samuels is a dick. Yeah, well... He yeah. really is. Yeah. I don't think many people particularly like him. I mean, I immediately cast my mind back to the 2013 Stars and Renegades BBL match when Samuels grabbed David Hussey's shirt and later resulted in Warney yelling in his face and throwing the ball at Samuels and having him throw his bat back at Warne. Yes, I recall that. Yeah. I actually forgot though, Lassith Malinga fractured Samuels' eye socket in that game with a bouncer. Huh? And nobody was uh, very quick to come and help him. No. But but anyway, Ben Stokes had to quarantine in New Zealand recently. Unfortunately, his father's been quite ill. And as is the case with these, he had to go and stay at a hotel at random. So there was a bit of back and forth on social media with the English cricketer boys. And it was mentioned that he wouldn't even wish this upon his worst enemy, including Marlon Samuels. To give this a bit of perspective, they've got history. In 2015, Samuels mocked Stokes when he dismissed him. They've also had words during the One Day World Cup last year. But Marlon's response on social media to this barb was disgraceful. No white boy could diss me in the sports and no get back diss. Look at this bitch still thinking about me. Give me 14 days with your wife. Turn her into Jamaican in 14 seconds, mate. None of y'all knows me. That simple means it's my fucking superior skin tone. Y'all hate. Fuck you. Yeah. I mean, half of it doesn't make sense and the other half is... Well, it's kind of tech speak, isn't it? Yeah, but the other half is just so unnecessarily bringing race into this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was, he was being racist. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he doesn't hate you because of the colour of your skin. He hates you because you're a dick. Mm. So, yeah, this is just baffling. So Samuels, of course, was uh, suspended for a suspect action just over a decade or so That's ago. True. So he, he actually came in and out of international cricket. But there was a great warning. Did you see the warning quote? No, I didn't. Uh, I've just been sent what Samuels has posted regarding Ben Stokes and I, because he, he also had a shot at warning. It's a very sad situation as he obviously needs some serious help, but he has no friends at all and not even his ex-teammates like him. Just because you were an ordinary cricketer, no need to be an ordinary person. Get help, son. <laughs> Thanks, Shane Keith. That is great. That is great. So we've now got some great stuff to look forward to. They've had the announcement of the schedule of the Australia versus India series in the T20s, the ODIs, and the tests. Yeah, that's right. So we've got six short-form games. We've got three ODIs, a couple at the SCG, one at Marnica in late November, early December. Three T20Is, December 4th, 6th, and 8th. Again, Marnica, and then two at the SCG. But what we're all most interested in, of course are our tests. So we've got Adelaide Oval, which is a day-nighter from starting on December 17. The Boxing Day test at the MCG as usual. January 7th will be the SCG test and we'll be at the Gabba on January 15th. I suppose a couple of pretty interesting points of interest there. Seems once again WA's missed out, probably because of the quarantine. Yeah, definitely. So, Although the hard borders come up now, so mm, yeah. Per- perfect timing. My other question was just regarding the Boxing Day test. So obviously... Melbourne's just come out of their hard lockdown in terms of not being able to travel more than, say, five kilometres from their homes. 
and they've opened up the bars and shock horror they've gone absolutely crazy and there's been a lot of talk in the media about the, yeah. these people going too far to and Kmart too apparently and there Kmart. were people saying it was worse than Boxing Day sales yep there's concerns already over a third wave in Melbourne now, will they play a Boxing Day test in front of no one if the MCG has to stay empty? Well, I think they probably would. At this stage, they're hoping for 20,000, so about a fifth capacity, I believe, a fifth to a quarter capacity if they can get up to 25. But, I'd, well, I don't, I don't know. It's a really interesting question. Would they change the scheduling if it turned into another wave? I don't know. Because that's it. I mean, again, Boxing Day test... It would be great if it could be at the MCG because obviously it is the the greatest place to play cricket in Australia. The 100,000 people, if you can get that capacity, well, even if you get 20,000, it's still pretty good. Yeah. Dare I say it, those 60,000 at Optus... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. ...would probably yeah. sound better than 20,000 Oh, we could G. potentially have a full Optus stadium. Yeah. For, yeah. But yeah. anyway, that's just... A You've got to keep the Gabba test because we never lose at the Gabba. We this like winning, so we all got to keep the Gabba test. And, if we and can, it's got to be weird to have that at the end of the summer. Yeah, true. And if we can get, but, the, uh, if we get the toss right as well, Adelaide Oval should be pretty fruitful with the ball swinging around. And if I'm not mistaken, neither team has lost a day-nighter. So after that yeah. test, at least one of us will have lost a day-nighter unless there's a draw. There's a draw. <laughs> yeah, you, you saw what I was about to say there. <laughs> so let's look at the squad. Now, this is just for the ODIs and T20Is. They haven't released the test squad yet, and that's because there's still some more shield to be played. Aaron Finch is the captain, Sean Abbott, Ashton Agar, Alex Carey, Pat Cummins, Cam Green, big mm-hmm. name that we've talked about, Josh Hazelwood, Moises Henriques, Marnus Labuschagne, Glenn Maxwell, Daniel Sams, Kane Richardson, Steve Smith, of course, Mitchell Stark, Stoinis, Wade, Warner, and Zampa. Usual suspects, really. There's not any major surprises. Apart from, I guess, Henriques, and then Sams and Green as the youngin. Well, I think... On Reeks and Green is basically them looking at Mitch Marsh not being able to play, so they need someone to replace him all-rounder, as yep. the all-rounder. Yep. I'm actually nervous for Green getting his first go in the short-form stuff, though. I uh, worry that if he does get to play and he fails a couple of times, that people will be calling for his head. It often comes from the Eastern States when it comes to WA people, but we'll see how we go. Well, he's only 21, so even if he did get a call-up and then get dropped and then get called up again in a year or two, it's not the end of the True. world. But gee, there's a lot of people touting him, isn't there? Chris Rogers has come out. Greg Chappell said he's the best young batsman he's seen since Ricky Ponting. And again, he's a bowler first. I think Alan Border said it's disgraceful that he's in the side. Yeah, so that's on the other side of the coin. And I think Ian Healy might have as well, actually. Maybe it was heels and not Border. Yeah, it was one of the yeah. points. And I think it's because they wanted Nessa in the team. And Nessa started the shield well. Yeah, so, true. Or is it Nessa? I don't know. Nice, how you... ne- yeah, yeah. Nessa. Yeah. Uh, the thing that I still struggle with is how guys like... I mean, I know he's not in great form, but guys like Darcy Short and Chris Lynn, those big hitters, maybe not necessarily those two, but these guys that have huge power, why they're not the ones getting the go in the T20s? Short's trailed away a little bit the last year or two. Potentially, yeah. As After say, exploding onto the scene yeah, a few years ago. I mean, not necessarily Darcy Short and Chris Lynn in particular, but those sorts of guys that are... Phenom- that will club it. Phenomenal clean hitters... Of the ilk of, of a Glenn Maxwell, who's also unfortunately not playing great cricket at the moment, but I just don't understand why you wouldn't fill your side up with a lot of those guys. Maybe have a couple of guys that can kind of play those those anchor roles. But do you think it's because a lot of our bowlers are pretty good with the bat? So looking at the list here, Abbott can can Tonkum, oh, Agar's good with the bat, Cummins is good with the bat. Uh, on Reeks, we know what he can do with the bat, Mitch Stark. So a lot of our bowlers can actually bat quite well. Yeah, look, there's there's definitely something that can be said for that. I, I don't know. I'm just a big fan of having guys 
coming in at five, six, and seven. Fair. Who again can still keep that run rate going through it at you know two runs a ball basically. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's so. Fair. Yeah. Anyway, the other one I'm not I'm still not convinced about Kane Richardson. Yeah, me neither. Uh, he's he swings it a bit, but I just don't know if he's quick enough. He, he could be very useful under lights, but I just don't know if any of his one day stuff is is good enough for taking on the likes of India. So, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, no, sure. time will tell on that one. I'm I'm on the fence about him too. Yeah, yeah, I'll be honest. And so I guess obviously with all of this talk about some of the great domestic performances. We should probably talk about the Sheffield Shield matches that are in progress because there's some crazy stuff going on. Yeah, so previously we waited until the batches were complete, but we've got to talk about this. You have to wonder if uh, Will Pukowski's been keeping an eye on the Cam Green. Well, he's done better. He's done better than 197. So how's this? So in the Victoria versus South Australia Shield match, South Australia scored 200. Probably not enough on those roads over there. Not even close. But get this, so at stumps on day two, Victoria are none for 418. It just it just beggars belief. With Harris on 207, not out, and Pukowski on 199, not out. And Harris has recently said that he's itching to get back into the Australian test team again. Pukowski's been touted as that next young star for a couple of years now. All of a sudden, our test squad's looking like it's going to be pretty competitive and juicy. We could almost put together two very, very competitive yeah, squads. Yeah, it's going. yeah. So the previous record was 390, set by Julian Wiener and Jeff Moss back in 1981 <laughs> against WA. <laughs> Wiener. It's the state's highest partnership since the competition was founded in 1892. They also smashed a 94-year, 375-run record between Bill Woodfull and Bill Ponsford for Victoria's highest shield opening partnership. So they've done all right. They've done it's, it's, very, it's, very well. I wonder how much well. longer they'll go. Maybe try and bat to about 500 and then put South Australia back in. Yeah, bat until lunch at least. Yeah, send them in. This could actually be one of the rare times in history where a team has won a match without losing a single wicket. Wow, that's a really I, interesting. I wonder if that's We might have happened. to look at that. We might happened. have to look at that. And then WA and Tassie now. Again, we'll come back to this when it's done and dusted. Probably in the balance, maybe Tassie with a nose ahead. In fact, yeah, they're a nose ahead. They're 5 for 273 chasing or in response to 302. And I will just mention that the Perth Scorchers women's side finally won a game as well, which is... Oh, they've actually got some games today. Yeah, well, they got half a game anyway. You got a few little IPL bits and pieces, Stu? Yeah, we've only had a handful of matches been completed since we last recorded, but the Royals are on the charge, making their way up to fifth place now. Only Come on, boys. Yeah, only run rate keeping them out of the finals now. The Mumbai Indians are locked into the finals. They're kind of struggling a little bit at the moment, though. And then the Royal Chargers, Bangalore, and Delhi Capitals, who are also struggling a little bit, would need to lose both of their games, although they actually play each other in a couple of days, so that can't happen. Mm. So very interesting couple of days coming up. Now, Hyderabad kept their hopes alive by absolutely smashing Delhi the other day. So, Ridiman Saha made 87 off 45. Dave Warner had 66 off 34. Hyderabad made 2 for 219. That is a massive score. Yeah. Kagiso Rabada was smashed for 54 off his four overs without a wicket, so mm. not a great performance there. Mm. Delhi were never really in the match in reply. Shikha Darwin was gone first ball. Marcus Stoinis was out the next over. Rashid Khan, out of this world, 3 for 7 off his four overs. Is he the best T20 player in the world? Well, he's he's ranked there in terms in terms as, of bowling. As a bowler, in terms of bowling, yes. I was actually going to say, is he the best of all time? Well, short history, he'd I, be up there. I, don't, I can't think of anyone who would be better than him. So, yeah, yeah. So yeah, phenomenal effort. 
Then a top of the table clash between Mumbai and Bangalore saw Mumbai home in the last over behind 79 off 43 from Surya Kumar Yadav. Bangalore had set the Indians 165 to win. It should have been plenty more, though. They had 129 on the board after 15 overs. But Jasper Bumrah's death overs were superb as part of 3 for 14 off his four. Again, very formidable bowler. Going to see... A lot of him. Some fireworks on our decks over here. I'd actually be almost keen to see him bowl under lights in Adelaide. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I very much look forward to this tour. Yeah. Very much. So, yeah, they were probably about 20, 25 runs short, unfortunately, and they were very, very pivotal. So so what do you think about Aaron Finch getting dropped for Josh Phillippe? Well, you've got to perform, don't you? So if you're not putting your runs on the board, then there's always a guy waiting to, to take your place. Yeah, I mean, he's only been averaging, I think, about 22, 23 with a bat so far in this series. So he is struggling a little bit, which is not great in the lead-up to the, the series against no, India. But no, I guess And he's captain too, so that's yeah. always a funny... If yeah. someone's on the fringe when they're captain. Yeah, I mean, I guess on a home deck, you'd probably expect him to... Come He'll come good. Well, He'll right? come good, yeah. And Felipe's a really up-and-comer in the T20 space. Mm. Good short-form young player. Now, Chennai might have ruined Kolkata's final plans for the win off the last ball in Dubai. Nidish Rana had 87 off 61. He's been all over the place. Get this for his last four innings. 87, 0. 81, 0. <laughs> so he's up and down. Uh, it's T20 though, isn't it? It's a real roll of the dice in yeah, many ways. It really is. Yeah. So they made 5 for 172. Rudaraj Gaikwad had 72 off 53 in reply, but when he fell, they still needed 33 off 16, so it's not entirely done. Some big hitting from Ravi Jadeja got that down to just 10 off 6, so should be home from there. But then some really crafty bowling from Kamlesh Nagarkoti took it down to 7 off 2. And then Jadeja absolutely destroyed one over mid-wicket to tie the scores, and then flat-batted one over long on to finish the match off. So bang, bang, very impressive and massive blow to Kolkata. And in the game played overnight, the Rajasthan Royals used a balanced batting attack. 50 off 26 from Stokes, 48 off 25 from Sampson, 31 off 20 from Smith to easily run down Kings 11 Punjab's 4 for 185. We did see a very humorous moment, though, with Chris Gale being bowled by Jofra Archer for 99 off 63, and he threw his bat towards mid-wicket before giving Archer a low five. Just <laughs> there's, there's people sort of saying, like, how can a guy make getting out look so cool? <laughs> So, I, I do uh, want to say this, though. Do you think it's weird at all for Smith to be on the same side as Archer? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, this is modern cricket, isn't it? Isn't it it's just... modern cricket. And it's hard for me to support Ben Stokes, but he's a royal, so yep. I have to. Yep, true, true. I did, didn't I hear that Chris Gale has, like, thousand sixes across... T- 230 ahead of Kyron Pollard in second place. Yeah, so, yeah. Something ridiculous. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah first one to a thousand by... A long way. Right. A long way. There you go. But yeah, we've got some absolutely massive games coming up in the next few days as we make our way towards the finals. I won't mention any of it just now because that'll be what I'm amped for. Mm. Spoiler alert. And now, this week in sport history. So, Stewie, uh, and geez, we're doing themes nearly every week now with this. But, yeah. But when, when I knew we were recording on Halloween, I was trying to think of kind of ooh, spooky little Halloween y stories, right? And as a Spurs fan, the immediate thing that came to mind was that time a bat got into the, uh, I don't know if it was the AT&T, AT&T or SBC. I don't know what the sponsorship was at that stage. Anyway, the Spurs home stadium, a bat got in and Emmanuel Ginobili, like, he just swats the bat, stuns it, picks it up and takes it away. And of course, then there were all the Batmanu memes. And funnily enough, crazily enough, that actually occurred on Halloween itself. 
So a story that I thought was just kind of vaguely Halloweeny was actually totally Halloweeny. And as a result, here we go. This week in sport, 31st of October. Also, Manage Nobly is a vampire, so incredibly Halloween. Well, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not really. No. 1950, the big cat, Earl Lloyd, becomes the first African-American to play a game in the NBA, scoring six points on debut for the Washington Capitals. Halloween 1976, Pakistani cricketer Javed Dad scores 206 against New Zealand, aged just 19 years and 141 days. Went on to have a pretty handy career. 29 fours and a six, mm. very handy innings. 1988, the first Monday night football game between the Indianapolis Colts and the Denver Broncos. The Colts coming up 55-23 in that one. Ooh, close one. Yeah. Halloween 1994, American tennis star Venus Williams actually made her professional debut as a 14-year-old with a 6-3-6-4 win over former NCAA champion and world number 58, Sean Stafford, in the Bank of West Classic in Oakland, California. Gee, she had a... Tremendous career. Still playing now as well. Yeah, crazy. Uh, even younger than Hingis. I don't think even Hingis was that young, was she? No, well, I think, Close. She, I think she was maybe a champion at 16. But yeah, yeah, yeah. She was yeah, a bit older than that. Then finally, 2003, Bethany Hamilton, then age 13, had her arm bitten off by a shark while surfing in Hawaii, but it didn't stop her from launching a very successful pro surfing career later on. She actually went on The Amazing Race as well. I remember watching her and her partner do very well in that. And some of the things that she was able to achieve with one arm that most of us would struggle to do with two. She is a very, very inspirational woman. Absolutely. And as you said, there have been a number of tournaments that she's been a part of that she's won with just the one arm. And you could be forgiven, even if it was your passion, you could be forgiven for not wanting to do it ever again. But much like Mick Fanning, she got straight back in the water. She very much did. This Week in Sport History. So in Basketball Street, before we get on to the NBA, you've got a quick little update in the WNBL. Yeah, it turns out we're going to have a hub for the WNBL with Mackay, Cairns and Townsville set to host the entire season. Wow. Coming up. 60 games played across six weeks between November 11 and December 20. So a bit of an abridged version of the season. It's going to be very, very interesting. There'll be loads of double headers. Townsville are going to host 32 of the games, 20 in Townsville. Liz Cambage will be back in the WNBL with Melbourne's Southside Flyers. What I do find a tad odd, though, about the whole thing is that there will be fans there. So... I don't know if it's maybe a cost-cutting measure, but if fans are allowed there, yeah, it's it, can't, an it can't be a COVID thing. So, yeah, well, mm. why, or if it is, then why are they allowed to attend? If, yeah. if it's not, why is it not played across the whole of Australia? Yeah, that's bizarre. It's, a, it's an unusual And is it, it's not the Cairns Convention Centre, is it? Because that was in doubt for the men's team. It's the pop-up one that right, they're using. Right, so. right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, just, I, I couldn't figure out why it would all yeah. be in a hub if they can have fans. Mm. Uh, anyway, just, just a... Crazy one, but great to see that WNBL is nearly back on. And in the NBA world, so news of the restart, previously we've kind of been told around Christmas time, but now there's some rumblings it's going to be mid-January. Boy, has there been backlash on this already. Mm, mm. Uh, The first one I heard basically was Danny Green coming out saying that if it starts on the 22nd of December or around Christmas time, expect to see LeBron James and a lot of veterans sitting out most of the first month. So I, th- I, think I don't know, veterans in teams that didn't enter the bubble? Well, and veterans on teams that even... I mean, even teams that didn't qualify for the playoffs. That was mid-August. Mm. So it's still a fairly big break until 
even Christmas, let alone January. I think what you'll find is, yeah, the the players, the veterans on the Lakers. Deep in the playoffs here. Yeah, the, the Lakers, the Heat, the, the Clippers, the, the guys that kind Nuggets. of got, got a little bit further. Yeah, they, they got further than the, than the Clippers, actually, sorry. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it'll be... It'll be very, very intriguing to see what this does to the league because I think you read somewhere that there was a huge financial hit. Yeah, well, I heard it on PTI, actually. So initially, they were saying half a billion dollars is what would be the difference starting in January versus starting in December. But I actually read today a billion dollars is what would cost the league. And who's going to foot that bill? Is it the owners? Is it partly the players? Is it a mix? Who knows? Well, it's a, it's a mix virtually, and the players need to realise that the salary cap will dip. It's it's it has to dip. It, so so the longer they don't play, the less money they make, the lower the salary cap will be. Mm. That's with the league calculating that that revenue could be down forty percent without fans potentially turning up to games as well. So the revenue was down ten percent this year. Down revenue means down caps. Mm. So it, it's it's really interesting because the CBA could be torn up too. There's actually a lot of different scenarios potentially at play here. So it's anyone's guess what's going to happen. And in theory, we've only got seven weeks before it kicks off. Potentially, which is why we're going to start with our little review and look forward, I guess, with the Pacific Division today. But so, yeah, so we might only have seven weeks. We might have... 11. Yeah, we might not have a season. Who knows? Yeah, it's it's anyone's guess. The other other problem with it starting in January means it would eat into the Olympics, which means that... Several teams. You get the whole problem. Yeah, yep. So... Oh, boy. Yes, we'll see. (laughs) Watch this space. We'll see. So with the possibility that we could be starting in seven weeks' time, we thought we'd better start working our way through the divisions in the NBA, starting with the Pacific. Makes sense, of course, the champion... Los Angeles Lakers reside there. reside there, and of course, why not start with them? So they, of course, had a record of fifty-two and nineteen. They won the NBA championship against Miami, four games to two. Their longest winning streak of the season was ten between the thirteenth of November and the thirtieth. Their longest losing streak was four between the eighteenth of December and twenty-sixth. They did not lose their fourth game until mid-December, but it was the beginning of a four-game losing streak, and they actually stumbled into the playoffs, losing three or four at the end of the bubble play-in games, but. We all know how it ended quite well. Yeah, I mean, nothing short of a complete success, really, when you look at it overall. Any season that you win at all has to be viewed that way. AD and LeBron's chemistry was sensational for their first season together. Absolutely. They had no major injuries to speak of. Which helps. They ran through the bubble fairly easily, and it looks like AD's going to stay. Yep. So as, I, I mean, it'd be crazy not to. Yeah, so I don't, I don't see how that can be viewed as anything other than a complete success. LeBron's still playing like he's 25. I mean, it's probably looking like there'll be slight favourites to win it all again next year, really. So Rondo's rumoured to potentially leave. Kuzma could be thrown in a trade, potentially, for Chris Paul. That's one of the destinations that Chris Paul's been rumoured to go to. Do the Lakers really want to invest all that money in him? When they've just won with, you know, Danny Green's another guy that may not come back. Well, it's interesting because what I've got here in terms of what they they need and what they need to let go of, obviously priority number one is to get that signature from Davis. Yes. That's absolutely the first thing. After that, the Lakers probably need a bit more shooting off the bench as well as a bit of an infusion of youth. If you look at their, their roster, LeBron, Rondo, Morris, McGee, Howard, Green, Dudley, all 31 and older. Yeah, wouldn't be surprised if Morris doesn't come back as well. So, they've really only got two guys in Kuzma and Caruso who are 26 or younger playing significant minutes, which is 
amazing to have have that that few players. It just yeah it makes no sense. But when you start talking about Chris Paul, I've also heard Derek Rose's name being thrown. Yes, out. yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Sure, let's just get older. Yeah. Well, they're in win now mode though, aren't they? And they, and I guess they've decided that as long as we have LeBron and AD, we've just got to fit guys around them. See, I've got a few guys I don't mind the look of. Dennis Smith Jr. would be a guy who I would potentially look at. You'll get there him, are rumours the Knicks are giving up on him. Well, yep. you'll, you'll get him on the cheap because New York doesn't want him. He's a super bouncy guy off the bench. Okay, he's not a great shooter, but if Rondo goes, he gives you that decent energy backup guy. I've heard guys like Spencer Dinwiddie, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Buddy Heald... They're gonna oh, Buddy have, Hill's got a huge contract. They're going to have big price tags, and obviously yeah, that's yeah. where someone like Danny Green potentially gets shipped out as an expiring, so Sacramento might be looking at it that way. So um, I guess that's sort of what they've got to look at is, is yeah, who's expiring, who can they potentially get rid of to, to make something like that happen. They need to get rid of J.R. Smith and Dion Waiters as quickly as they can. Yeah, yeah. they're Just, inconsequential players, really, aren't they? Yeah, so yeah. In, in terms of their, their big-name players, though, I don't think there's anyone that you really need to get rid of. It's just more who can they fit under that salary cap. I really do want to say, though... Just stack the team with 3 and D, guys. Yeah, well... But, I mean, that's modern NBA, isn't it? That's what yeah. every team's blueprint is. Yeah. Stack with 3 and D, basically. Speaking of 3 and D, guys, Alex Caruso was there. He was such a shining light for me. Oh, absolutely. I don't know if he's a 3 and D per se, but he's a very good defender. Oh, he's a decent shooter. Yeah, yeah he's a okay. Yeah, yeah. Look, he does a lot of stuff that doesn't show up on the box scores. He gets a lot of deflections. Very scrappy, yeah. Really great energy guy off the bench. He's loved by his teammates. And he's still got a year left on his contract, which is pretty decent at the moment. He, oh, they'd be wanting to hold on to him. Yeah, he will get paid the year after. So I guess, yeah, if they can maybe lock him in on a, on a mid-range sort of contract, I think he'd be one that you'd want to you'd want to keep. But They're probably on a year-by-year proposition, all in on the championship. Yeah, no, that's it. So, But no, great year for the Lakers, looking pretty decent next year, unless they absolutely implode and throw away everything. Well, I dare say that next season's uh, Western Conference finalists could both come from this division. Yeah. Because a prime candidate, of course, the LA Clippers. So the Clippers finished 49-23. and 23. They lost in the second round to the Nuggets four games to three after blowing that three-game-to-one lead. The longest winning streak was between the 17th and 28th of November at seven. The longest losing streak was three between the 12th and 23rd of Feb. And, well... They don't have a first-round pick. It's gone to the Knicks, but they've got a pretty good lineup. They don't have a first-round pick until about 26-40. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, how do you sum this up? Great regular season, disastrous playoffs as far as I'm concerned. Yep. The Clippers came into the bubble looking like one of maybe two or three teams that could stop the Lakers from winning, and chemistry issues pretty much derailed everything in the postseason. Poor George underperforming. Yep, he did his Houdini act, as he usually does in the playoffs, or certainly in recent years anyway. He should go and play with James Harden. I wonder if Harden and Westbrook might leave with uh, with their new coach. Well, yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there eventually. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, look, a lot of reported anger towards George from the secondary guys. It just hasn't been great. They were actually lucky to get past Dallas in the first round, and they, yeah, they just didn't have enough time with Leonard and George on the court together to, to really get that chemistry going. I mean, obviously, we talked about how great LeBron and AD had their chemistry going, and unfortunately, it was almost the complete opposite for, for these two. There's so much promise for this team, and look, they could bounce back and be super good next year. There's no reason why they couldn't. They've got an excellent roster. There's some talk that Harrell might not stick around. 
That would make him a bit thin at the center spot, I would have thought. The sixth man of the year as well. Sorry to bring that up. <laughs> Don't even get me freaking started on that. But so they're, real, they're a bit of a wild card, really, aren't they, the Clips? Mm, yeah, they're they, great on paper, but... Paper doesn't win anything. No, that's right. Unless it's a paper competition, in which case... Unless it's origami. Or it's, yeah, if it's yeah, an origami competition, mm. paper would generally win that. Mm. Or you're playing rock, paper, scissors, and mm. going up against somebody who plays rock. It's true. Anyway, so actually, paper wins a lot. Yeah, but not, yeah, not in yeah. this instance. No. Anyway, so, yeah, I guess what do they need? I, I think potentially they may need Mika guys in their second unit and a better message from their stars. I think that that's what it potentially comes down to. New coach now, of course. New, new coach now with, with Teron Lou coming in. They've got... Somewhat new, former some, yes, assistant. Yes. Yeah, Ter- as Teron, you mentioned last week. Teron new. Um, they've got a lot of big voices on their bench. I mean, Montrez Harrell's a big voice. Lou Williams is a big voice. Pat Beverly. Pat Beverly. Well, they're he, full of dickheads. Pat Beverly's not, not so much coming off the bench, but he but he is certainly a, a big Oh, voice. sorry, off the bench, yeah. But, but he's still a big voice anyway as, as a secondary player as well, so it's a, it's a good point. Whereas across town, obviously, yeah, the Lakers guys know their role. They just want to play basketball. They want to win. So, yeah, I, I wonder whether they openly shop Harrell and maybe Marcus Morris as well to try and get some guys who can do a similar role without all the fanfare. I mean, unless they can sit down in the off-season and figure this out, I, I just can't see how one or both of them doesn't go. If I'm Barmer, I am chasing Boogie Cousins to play centre for the yeah, Clippers. Okay. Maybe have him as the, the second coming of Dwight Howard. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, depending on what sort of salary he'll command, but if you can get him, I think that's a good fit for them, particularly if Harold's going to leave. Well, I think he's already proven when he played for Golden State that he's willing to play for a veteran's minimum yep. if it gives him a chance at a ring. Yep. So, that's it's a good point. I mean, obviously the Reggie Jackson and the Joachim Noah experiments didn't really work. No, and it was worth a try, but, it, they, you know, it, it was a fairly low-risk, high-reward situation. They just didn't get the reward they wanted. Yep. I'm actually really keen to see what happens with what I thought was their shining light this season, Ivisa Zubac. Yes, yeah. I, I thought he looked like a really underappreciated big. He's got so much time, because he's such a young guy, but he's got so much time to figure out how to compete with the likes of Nikola Jokic. He's got great touch for a big center. Not many guys in the league have his size. So he's one of these guys that I think they really need to incorporate a little bit more into pick and rolls. And he's a year older, so he's a year yeah. wiser. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So yeah. he's another, he's one, I think, that could very, very easily put them in a position to succeed next year. I still don't know why the Lakers gave up on him. I mean, obviously it worked yeah. out well for well, him. Well, maybe it was cap issues, but yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but no, definitely definitely a really crucial year for the Clippers. Oh, shit, yeah. Like, yeah, 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 because they the the big stars can walk after this season. Like they could very and easily, leave them in the dumpster. They they could fall off a chasm. Right oh, absolutely, with season. no draft picks for the for, or very few good draft picks for the foreseeable future. And I'm okay with that because that would then potentially yes. get the, get the Thunder a lot of lottery yes. picks moving forward. Yes, it makes those picks more attractive. I would feel pretty good about that. Speaking about feeling pretty good, the Phoenix Suns, I reckon, would be feeling pretty good about the trajectory. I think they're definitely on the way up. After winning eight straight in the bubble, they finished the season 34 and 39. That happened to be their longest winning streak of the season. Funnily enough, the longest losing streak of the season was also eight. They've got pick 10 in the draft and a good young nucleus. Chris Paul, another name that's been rumoured to be going there. I think I heard Zach Lowe throwing that one around. 
I mean, who wouldn't want Chris Paul the way he played last season? He was... Super- oh, absolutely. But it's just that huge contract. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. And look, maybe they can come up with a deal with Ricky Rubio, but obviously they're not going to trade their, their two young stars in Booker and Aiton. I don't know what much else they have to offer. Maybe Kelly Oubre Jr., for example. I don't think, as a Thunder fan, I would want either of those two players on yeah, the roster, well, yeah, to be honest. No, but no. Yeah, I, again, what do you say about this season? Just so close with the Suns. They started pretty brightly. They were 5-2 and two to start the season. They flamed out massively in the middle of the season, as uh, you mentioned. Good pun. Yeah, but yeah, true. Unintentional. Oh, yeah. But as you said, they lost eight in a row. They actually lost six of seven twice as well, so they had a lot of big losing streaks. But after, and it will happen with a young team well, it will. in a strong conference. It will. But we laughed about them even being invited to the bubble at the I know. start of it. Yeah, yeah. And sure enough, as you said, they run off eight in a row. There's a reason they play the games. They just about made the playing game. It just wasn't meant to be. They won their bubble games by an average of 13.1 points a game. Devin Booker was third in scoring. He went beast mode a couple of times. The bubble experience seemed to galvanise the Suns, and I really hope it continues into next season. Phoenix deserves the Suns to the, be good. Well, the Phoenix fan base does, because Robert Sarver is one of those terrible owners who has put that fan base through hell for seasons and seasons. And they've come up short. You know, there's been some pretty good Suns teams over the last 15 years. Of course, that Steve Nash and Murray Stoudemire team, Sean Marion, Boris Diaw, Raja Bell, pretty good team. Jake Sakalitis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sure. Why not? <laughs> Why not? I mean, what do they need? They probably still need a little bit more shooting. The Suns were middle of the pack in three-point shooting. Guys are going to keep sagging off Ricky Rubio, even though he shot 36% last season. Another floor spreader would give him a little bit more room to maybe attack the rim with a running start. The only guy on this team I'm not 100% on is Kelly Oubre Jr. I, he's a great young player. He wants to win. He could potentially be an all-star at some stage, but... He just kind of strikes me as the sort of guy who sort of mix with the wrong crowd and maybe get caught up in some shit. Like, and he's on fifteen mil, so in fact fifteen and a half. So he's not on chump change. I see. That's the thing. If he plays and doesn't get into any sort of trouble, he's a guy who's probably worth that. But you just kind of worry that there could be some off court stuff, kind of like a Stephen Jackson sort of sort of setup. So you just don't know. I mean, you probably stick with him if you can, but but I guess how do you move up the pecking order unless you kind of get rid of a couple of these guys and take a punt on, on someone else? I, I think you know. can get a decent player at pick 10. So there's not a lot of star power in this draft, but it's I think it's meant to be deep for impact makers, you know, not stars, but guys that would contribute. Do you know, one of the pieces that could be interesting, and I don't know what his contract's like, but it could actually be a player who I thought was their shining light is Aaron Baines. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He did play well. He had a career year, more than doubled his points per game, became a legitimate stretch five. He had nine threes in a game against Portland as part of a 37-point game. <sighs> That's crazy. That's crazy. There was a time when nine threes in a game was the record. Yep. And it wasn't wow. even really that And it was long. not Aaron Baines. No, he's... No, well, Far out. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, he doesn't rebound quite at a high enough level, but, yeah, he's he's one of these guys. I mean, if they keep him, they could look at a two-headed monster with him and Aiton. Have him as maybe like the four. Well, he's a good veteran presence for Aiton, and he's he plays tough. He plays good, accountable basketball. Yep. No nonsense. He'll ch- he'll chase blocks even yeah. if it means he gets dunked on. Like yep. he's he's a bit great, of a blue collar kind of player. Yeah, yeah. And as much as you'd love to see him stay with Phoenix, he could be a, a very crucial part of a trade package. Mm. So we'll, we'll mm. see. Sacramento Kings finished thirty-one and forty-one. Their longest winning streak was only three, which they did on four different occasions. Their longest losing streak was eight between. 
the 18th of December and 1st of Jan. They have picked 12 in the draft coming up. They're a bit disappointing in the bubble, it's got to be said, when they had a chance to make the playoffs with their young team. What a shit show. This is another one that the, the term dumpster fire comes to mind. Roster- and again, another tortured fan base too, let's oh, face it. Oh, exactly. I mean, they haven't been relevant since, what, 2004, 2005? Yeah, about that. About that. So, yeah, their, their roster just doesn't flow. Marvin Bagley lost most of the season to injury again. They're overpaying trash players. They're underpaying their stars. Yeah, Harrison Barnes, 24 mil. Kent Bazemore, 19 mil. And Corey Joseph, 12 mil. Yeah, right. So there's there's a lot of guys on here that are making a lot more than they should. You go back to the days of Chris Webber, Mike Bibby, Peja Stojakovic, Doug Christie, Vladi Divac as a player. This place was intimidating. If you cast your mind back to that series with the Lakers and the, the Cowbells and Phil Jackson had to wear earplugs, it was that loud. You give this fan base a good team and this place rocks. Like It is such a great place to play, but it's just been so poorly constructed. And I tell you what, I really feel for Monte McNair who's coming in trying to undo the web of shit that Vlade has, has spun while he's been there. <laughs> As you, as you mentioned, I mean, they've they've got those horrible, horrible contracts. Yeah, $24 million for a guy who's averaging 14 points and five rebounds a game is absurd. He benefited big time from being drafted by Golden State. He did. And you know what? I'm the first to put my hand up and say I read him wrong. When he left Golden State, I said he'd be an all-star player. And, and I was, and dare I, was I say I read him right? I thought he was a bit of a Jeff Green type like who yeah. looked better on a, on a good team. Yep, yeah, you absolutely nailed that one. Kent Bazemore, you said nineteen million. He averaged nine and four on thirty-seven percent from the field. Mm. He shouldn't be earning half that. No. So, yeah, it's not great. I would. And as I said, Buddy Hield's one you know rumored to be potentially dealt. Rashawn Holmes, I think, is an interesting one. It'll be interesting to see how how he goes next yeah, season. No, I like him. He's, and he's, Bagley, as you said, so they're bigs. Well, it'll be interesting to see how their bigs go. Yeah, Bazemore's an unrestricted free agent. I would let him walk and throw that money at Darren Fox. Absolutely. And I'd try and flip Harrison Barnes for someone who can create their own shot. Those are probably the first moves I would make. Yeah, I can't imagine there'd be many guys lining up for Harrison Barnes. I don't, he might be if he's expiring, maybe. But, yeah, uh, but yeah. but no, there's there's a lot of moves that Sacramento need to make. Those are the first ones, I guess, I would try. But yeah, they just look so promising heading into the season with that backcourt of Fox and Heald, and they just they disappointed. I would love to know said. how many games they lost to injury, though. They did, yeah, okay. they, they did have a lot. Bogdan Bogdanovich is one actually that looks. Like, he could be either a very, very key trade piece or is ready to take the next step. He was great in the last five games in the bubble. He had 35 against the Pels and 27 against Brooklyn. Oh, he'd definitely be a guy that contending teams would sniff around. Yeah, so hopefully he'll either go to a contender or he'll get a bigger piece of the pie, I guess, in Sacramento. Then finally, speaking of injury riddled, we had the Golden State Warriors, 15 and 50. Their longest winning streak was four between the 21st of December and 28th. Their longest losing streak was 10 between the 29th and 17th. And and it's got to be said that the longest losing streak ended with a win over Orlando, but then they lost another five after that. So they actually lost 15 of 16 between December and January. Absolutely ravaged by injury. Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, after the departure of Durant. I think 15 and 50 was probably best case scenario. For yeah, the well, they end up with pick two, like, jeez. Well, that's you know, the thing. It's one bad year for restocking, isn't but, it? Well, that's it. Clay Thompson was never going to play this season, or he certainly was only going to play the last handful of games. Steph Curry was probably in the same boat. He wasn't going to play too much. I think he only played maybe a handful as well. No one expected them to be good. But they were that bad that they end up with the second pick in the draft. Yep. And they have a chance to rebuild into a title contender after one year. How often does that happen? 
very, very well. Oh, yeah. I would say, I mean, geez. I think back to the, the Spurs before they picked up Duncan, that's probably the only yeah, one I can think yeah, of yeah, off, off yeah, the top of my head. Yeah, after, yeah, have several good years with Dave Robinson. Where they went from being, yeah, consistently conference finals guys or around there or thereabouts to a championship contender straight away. So, to me, the two biggest things are do they keep or trade the number two pick? And what happens with Andrew Wiggins? Yeah. And indeed, do they package Wiggins with the pick to offload his salary to try and get a difference maker? Well, I've actually heard rumours of them packaging Wiggins, that pick, maybe a future first round or second round, and another role player for uh, for Joel Embiid. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Which would be just... I don't know. Does he fit the philosophy of that team? I'm not sure if that... I mean, obviously, he's a great player and a big name. I, I don't know if he helps helps that team. I don't think he fits their philosophy, but I think when you've got a guy who's that dominant and when you're playing with guys who are consistent winners, it's a message that they can deliver. I, I honestly, I mean, I guess a big guy when you've got three-point shooters, but he's he's not very mobile. True. And they like to get out and run. I, I like the idea of guys like Draymond Green, guys like, you know, the leaders in Curry and Thompson, Steve Kerr being able to sit down to him and say, right, this is what we need from you. You will not be the first option every game, but you're going to be in with a chance of getting a ring. Surely you would want that. I, don't, I, don't I, I think they'd be wiser to try and pry Gianna Santacumpo from oh, Milwaukee well, oh. with a with a decent package, even if they have to throw in Draymond Green and number two. You know, make it really I mean, if juicy. You, if you can get Giannis, of course. Yeah, well, you've got to kick the tires, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you can get him, that, that's fair enough. Look, they've also got a mid-level exception worth about $6 million. They've got a $17.2 million trade exemption. So they've got a pretty decent amount of money. Yeah, I, I definitely think they need to offload Wiggins. $27 million contract is a lot for, for what he does. Mm. He's not a particularly efficient scorer. Other- and look, maybe that experiment's not over yet. Maybe he hasn't had enough time to settle well, in with the full squad. They didn't give D'Angelo Russell enough time, yeah, either, well, in yeah, my opinion. But yeah. I think the other thing I would like to see with the Warriors, if you look at their bench a few years ago, guys like Andre Iguodala, Sean Livingston, these guys off the bench who have the experience, who are really good good vocal leaders. Well, not guys that step under people while they're taking jump shots. Sorry, I stepped under you while you were making a good point. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's, that's the big thing they need, though. They need a quality big to just be surrounded by all their shooters. They did a great job of getting... A lot of their younger players involved, like Eric Pascal, Kai Bowman, Jordan Poole. Kevon then, Looney. Kevon Looney, yep. These guys are all going to be really, really valuable next year. And I think Pascal, to me, looks the most likely. He's a guy who could easily push for six-man of the year. And he's on less than a million a season. So, yeah, I guess it does come down to what big man do they get. There's talk of them going after guys like Aaron Baines, Dwight Howard, Marcus Sol, although he's apparently looking to finish his career in Spain. So he Just may- pick Wiseman. Well, that's my thought. I've, Pick I've, Wiseman. I, I've been saying this since the midpoint of the season. Yeah. I mean, to me, Wiseman's the best player in the draft. Yeah. But get Wiseman because he's, yeah. he's a pass-first big guy. He likes to do all the dirty work. He blocks shots. Yeah, he's a shot blocker. He dunks. He's, he's, quick, he's, he's quick. He's, he's mobile. Big, he'll yeah. run up and down the court. He'll run like a gazelle, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think that's in, a no-brainer. We're, we're in agreement. I think yeah. if, if you're smart, you do that, and then potentially see what you can get for Wiggins. That's, that's my thoughts. But yeah, I mean, they're in a great position. They sure I are. think they'll be contending for it next year. Forget next year. They'll be contending for a decade. Well, the spooky edition is over, Stewie. What are you amped for? Trick or treating. 
Actually, no, it's... 11.46. Yes, it's, it's nearly midnight, so I'm guessing not many people are going to be too excited about me knocking on their door asking for no, candy. No, no, but know. it does mean the bowl of chocolate in my kitchen can now be devoured by us. This is true. But at least me wearing a Blake Griffin LA Clippers jersey is probably a little bit better than most of the trick-or-treaters. Well, it's better than the trick-or-treaters we got tonight. Anyway, what am I actually amped for? Yes, what are you amped for? So I alluded to it before in the IPL. The Royal Chargers, Bangalore and Sunrisers, Hyderabad tonight is a massive game for both teams. Hyderabad need a win to move back into the top four. Bangalore can punch their ticket to the finals with victory. And then we've got the Kolkata Knight Riders and Rajasthan Royals both playing their last game tomorrow night. You can put a line through the loser of that game. So definitely some big, big, big games coming up in the lead-up to the finals there. And funnily enough, I've just picked the phone up and I can see that the Royal Chargers Bangalore have made 7 for 120. So a pretty poor effort there. Mm, defendable, but not great. Philippi 32, AB de Villiers 24, and not a whole lot else. How about yourself, mate? What are you in for? Well, I'm very interested to see how the Victorians go in that shield match. How many more runs can those two pile on? And can they declare without losing a wicket, as you say? The big NFL game this weekend will be the Pittsburgh Steelers at the Baltimore Ravens. Pittsburgh 6-0, Ravens are 5-1. So that's a huge divisional match too. They almost count for two. They do, yeah. But I'm also really interested to see the debut of Tua Tagovailoa at Miami. Now, he did take a few snaps, but it'll be interesting to see him in a, in a whole game after he replaced Fitzmagic, who I recently saw the stats. So as we know, he got dropped. He was... He had a career-high 70% completion percentage. He was 7th in the league, total QBR, 79.6. 5th in the league at completion percentage. And tied for 5th at off-target percentage. Rubbish. Just rubbish. So, yeah. shit. Should be benched. Yeah. Come on, Fitzy. Pick your game up. Well, he's been benched. We'll take him at the Colts. The trade deadline soon. <laughs> Time will tell. Do you reckon you get him for Rivers? Oh, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Crime here, Rivers. Yeah, no. Until next time, I'm Dracula. And I'm Vincent Price. We are the Sportplex. We're, we're really just Nathan and Stu, though. Oh. Ow!